This is Equipping Eve, the podcast that seeks to equip women with fruits of truth from God's Word. In his second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ begins by being grounded in his word. So let's open our Bibles, ladies, and prepare to feast on the truth God has given us. Well, hello, ladies, and welcome to Equipping Eve. I'm your host, Erin Benziger. This is the show that seeks to equip you with fruits of truth from God's word. And you know, as I look outside on this day, I think of how true God's word is in things as simple and yet as obvious as the change of seasons. We're experiencing that now as I record this. It is early September. It feels like August. Uh, But a few days ago, it felt like October. So there you go. The change of seasons for every thing there is a season. Turn, turn, turn. Um, But that's also in Ecclesiastes. So God's word is true. God is sovereign over all things, including the seasons. And we can see how he's so perfectly ordered things when we do watch the change of seasons. And I realize not everybody experiences that change. Uh, Different areas of the world have different seasons. Most people or many people don't see all four seasons. I hardly see all four seasons anymore. I basically have two, uh, cold and hot. But nevertheless, every time I grumble about the weather, I'm reminded that I really should take that up with God. And so then I try not to grumble, but... I'm pretty bad at not grumbling about the weather, mostly because I feel miserable when the weather is miserable. And if the weather is always miserable, I always feel miserable. Misery misery loves company, right? Okay, that's not okay. That's not an endorsement of grumbling. Don't do it. It's bad. It's not becoming of a Christian. So anyway, let's move on past that. Have you looked at the website lately, equippingeve.com? Lots of resources available to you there. Links to other websites, podcasts, etc., Uh, There's a blog there. Hopefully you'll find those articles edifying. You can follow my Twitter feed there or just go to Twitter and look at Equipping Eve. Um, Lots lots available there, equippingeve.com. The podcast is there. Every episode from, I don't know, whenever we started the show on. And uh, when did we start this show? So November of 2014, we're about to hit our five-year anniversary. Go figure that one out. So, as we come up on that, I should probably think of something important to do. Huh, that's awkward. Okay, well, we'll come up with something at some point. Uh, But if you didn't hear those early episodes, go back. Go to the website, check it out. Um, Give me some grace because those were a little weird. Um, It was very new to me, podcasting, and you're thinking, okay, but you're a little weird now, and probably shouldn't have a microphone, so I don't know. Uh, Yeah, I know the early ones are special. I refuse to go back and listen to them, but you certainly can. Um, If you want to make fun of me, please do that in the quietness of your own home. Uh, But if you'd like to say something encouraging, please send me an email. Only encouraging emails are accepted if you're uh, talking about my podcast. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, But certainly constructive criticisms, always welcome. Um, Ideas, questions, comments, concerns, whatever. Send me an email, equippingeve at gmail.com. You can reach me on the website, Twitter, Facebook, etc. 
And while we're plugging all things Equipping Eve, just a reminder, ladies, that I am privileged to be speaking next year in March again at the Answers for Women conference. So uh, this conference is put on by Answers in Genesis every year. It's usually late March, early April. I think it's mostly late March these days, uh, just to avoid conflicts with other events. And so uh, March 27th and 28th of 2020 is this conference. It's being held at the ARC Encounter uh, in Williamstown, Kentucky. And so you can enjoy that as well. The Creation Museum is not too far away. No, they're not paying me to plug this. Uh, I would just love to see you there. The theme this year is Truth, Uncovering the Lies We Believe. There's a great lineup of speakers, um, friends, new people, uh, who I haven't had the privilege of meeting yet, but I'm excited and I'm very, very honored that uh, Dr. Protom invited me to speak again this year. So I'm looking forward to it. I hope to see you there. If you are planning to attend, please send me an email and let me know. Um, I would love to meet you. And I know it's early, but you know how all these conferences are. The earlier you register, the cheaper it is. So I have to plug it now. Okay. I think that's all the commercials I'm going to do now. Um, so, you know, maybe for the five-year anniversary of the show, maybe I'll do a book giveaway. I think it's been over a year since I've done a book giveaway. So stay tuned for that. Let's do a book giveaway in November of this year, November 2019. Stay tuned. I don't know what I'm giving away yet. But once I know, I will let you know. And then you can enter for a chance to win. Okay, so I have been thinking about lately, and that's usually what I end up talking about or things that I'm thinking about. I've been thinking about God as father. I've been actually thinking about just fathers in general for various reasons. Um, various different circumstances um, kind of led me to, to think about the topic of fathers. And one in particular was uh, a scene I witnessed in my own neighborhood I was taking a walk one evening and the neighbor man had just arrived home. Now, he, uh, for a couple of years now, has had to travel for his job a lot and he hated having to do it and his family hated it, but you know, you need a job. That was the job he had. He, that was what God provided at the time. And, um, and so that's what he did, but traveling, traveling was rough. He has a young daughter and, and his wife and um, so he's been doing all this traveling for a couple of years now. Um, but finally, uh, they, they will, I'll let you know the end of the story, they will have an opportunity to be together. He was able to um, find an opportunity that requires much less traveling so they can all be together again. But anyway, I'm, I'm taking a walk and I see his car pull into the driveway and his daughter, she was just standing there waiting for him to get there. She was so excited. Her daddy was home and he opened the car door and she lunged inside, giving her daddy this enormous bear hug. And I just stood there and watched with a huge smile, you know, this big goofy grin plastered across my face and he spotted me and he waved. And um, I just thought, what love this little girl has for her daddy. You know, what love her daddy has for her. It was such a beautiful picture. I'm a little teary just thinking about it, probably because I know them and they're super sweet people, but it just 
kind of kept mulling around with all of these thoughts I've had about fathers. Now, we didn't all have that same type of relationship with our fathers. You know, that's really evident, especially in the days of the Me Too movement and, you know, hearing about abuse. And, you know, even if there wasn't abuse involved, maybe our fathers were indifferent, disengaged, absent, you know, whatever. So for those of us who weren't daddy's girls, the picture of God as father may be a difficult one. And, you know, I've heard this alluded to over the years. You know, some people have trouble with God as father in that picture. And, and I thought, you know, well, get over it because he's a different father. But it's not always that easy. And I, I do understand that more now that thankfully that callous attitude, uh, God's working on that considerably. And, uh, you know, I get it. I get it that having that picture of God as a father, especially if you happened to be heaven forbid, just in an abusive home, and my heart breaks for you if you were. But yeah, it's completely understandable that that picture of God as Father is not a comforting one for you. But what we have to do as Christians is understand what the scripture says. And when we see what the scripture says about God as Father, we get this whole other picture of what a father is supposed to be. And we remember and realize that Fathers that aren't like that in this world are examples of and victims of the fall. That doesn't excuse them. It's just that's why not everybody is a perfect earthly father because of sin, right? And scripture equates God and the father. And so that's kind of the important first step that we realize that God the father is God, And I was flipping through a book, um, it's called Delighting in the Trinity, an Introduction to the Christian Faith by Michael Reeves, and I've not read this entire book, so I'm not endorsing it in whole. Uh, I'm just reading from it what I've read, so I kind of cherry-picked, I I fully admit it, I cherry-picked in the book um, to, to find some material. I wanted to see what this book had to say about this issue of God as Father. Um, so, but like I said, I haven't read it. So if you read the whole thing and you have issues with it, don't come crying to me because I told you I didn't read the whole thing yet. But this book says about the loving father, it says the most foundational thing in God is not some abstract quality, but the fact that he is father. And that was such a great opening sentence. I was like, yes, you know, this this is something we need to realize that this is one of the most foundational things about God, that he is father. Again and again, the scriptures equate the terms God and father. In Exodus, the Lord calls Israel my firstborn son. He carries his people as a father carries his son. And there's scripture verses all through this. Disciplines them as a man disciplines his son. He calls to them saying, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And how gladly would I treat you like sons and give you a desirable land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. I thought you would call me father and not turn away from following me. And he goes on and on. And um, then Reeves writes, Since God is, before all things, a father, and not primarily creator or ruler, all his ways are beautifully fatherly. And I really love that picture, again, if we're looking at what it means to be a true godly father, which God, of course, is the perfect father. 
he continues, it is not that this God does being father as a day job, only to kick back in the evenings as plain old God. It is not that he has a nice blob of fatherly icing on top. There's a picture. He is father all the way down. Thus, all that he does, he does as a father. And that means the way he rules over creation is most unlike the way any other God would rule over creation. The French reformer, John Calvin, appreciating this deeply, once wrote, quote, We ought, in the very order of things in creation, diligently to contemplate God's fatherly love. For as a foreseen and diligent father of the family, he shows his wonderful goodness toward us. To conclude once for all, whenever we call God the creator of heaven and earth, let us at the same time bear in mind that we are indeed his children, whom he has received into his faithful protection to nourish and educate. So, invited by the great sweetness of his beneficence and goodness, let us study to love and serve him with all our heart. End quote. End Calvin quote. Reeves continues, It was a profound observation, for it is only when we see that God rules his creation as a kind and loving father that we will be moved to delight in his providence. So, you know, this is really important, I think, because especially in the circles that many of us frequent, the um, Christian reform circles, I'm just going to call it like I see them, you know, we talk a lot about, oh, God is sovereign, and that's providence, and, you know, God's ordained it all, and that's all true, and God's sovereignty is one of the most comforting attributes of God, like one of his most comforting characteristics. So I, I'm not intending to downplay that here. But I think we can say all that at times to our own detriment because we create a picture that everything's kind of futile and God's got it all figured out anyway and he's just going to do what he wants and it's just, it is what it is. I hate that phrase, by the way. It is what it is. When I hear people say that, my skin just crawls and I, I bite my tongue. Um, but anyway, because on one hand, it is what it is, but there's a lot more to it than that. But anyway, to look at the fact that God is ruling his creation as a kind and loving father. It's not just, I'm God and I have these things I want to do. And so X, Y, Z, D, E, F have to happen. And so they're going to happen no matter what, no matter what anybody thinks or cares or does. No, he's a kind and loving father who loves his creation and loves his children. And so, yes, he has his plan that he is going to execute, that he's foreordained before the foundation of the world, but he executed, executes it as a kind and loving father. That's just so key. And, and Reeves goes on, he says, we might acknowledge that the rule of some heavenly policeman was just, but we could never take delight in his regime as we can delight in the tender care of a father. That is so key. And quite frankly, not something that I had thought of in that context before, that we look at God's sovereignty and the doctrine of providence in light of the fact that God is father, a kind and loving father. And so um, I'm reading more of this than I intended, but it's good. It's good stuff. Maybe I should read the rest of this book. I read this chapter and it was so good. So what does it mean that God is a father? He says, well, first of all, it actually does mean something. Not all names do. My dog is called Max, but that doesn't tell you anything about him. But if I can make the jump from a dog to God the father, he says, the father is called father because he is a father. And a father is a person who gives life, who begets children. Now he goes on, he says, that insight is like a stick of dynamite in all our thoughts about God. For if before all things, God was eternally a father, then this God is an inherently outgoing life-giving God. He did not give life for the first time when he decided to create. From eternity, he has been life-giving. 
and that uh that's kind of crazy to think about and is true and right and wonderful and and then he goes into first john 4 7 and 8 um, says that this, you know, plays off of this, says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And I'll skip over here some of what he says, but he says, When John writes, God is love, at the end of verse 8, he's clearly referring to the Father. And how did God show his love among us? He sent his one and only son the god who is love is the father who sends the son sends his son to be the father then means to love to give out life to beget the son before anything else for all eternity this god was loving giving life to and delighting in his son uh and then you know it goes on and then of course talking about the trinity and so i don't know where this book stands on issues like ess things like that so again don't write to me um just take the quotes for what they are because they're good uh and i can't endorse the rest of the book yet because i haven't finished it yet okay but good stuff to think about good important things to think about so so here we have god the father who is a kind and gracious father like he is a father all the time always has been god father and he has this relationship with god the son but he also has a relationship with those whom he saves and this means that we can turn to god as our father he is not just the big policeman in the sky he is not this high and lofty he is high and lofty but he is not this unobtainable unreachable unreachable deity you know, and anybody who preaches him that way is wrong and is probably doing spiritual harm to you. Yes, God is high and lofty. He is above all things. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We cannot comprehend him fully. He has revealed himself to us in his word. He has revealed himself to us through his son. We cannot know him unless we come through the son. Jesus Christ is the way, the true, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Yes, God is so high and lofty, but at the same time, he is a father. And there is a reason that curtain was torn in two when Christ was crucified, isn't there? Because we can come to our Father. Christ is our mediator. We can come to our Father. We can cry, Abba, Father, and come to him that personally because he knows us personally and intimately. And we come with a reverent fear, but we don't come afraid as Christians. Now, if you've not been saved, if you are an unrepentant sinner enjoying your sin, you should be afraid of God. Absolutely. But if you've been saved, ladies, you are a daughter of this God. Jesus came to God as his father, and he taught us to pray that way, didn't he? He taught us to pray that way, the disciples, and then subsequently us, our father who art in heaven. So what does it look like for us to know that God is a father, especially if our earthly fathers were a poor representation of what it means to truly be a father? 
We'll turn, ladies, to Hebrews 12. Turn to Hebrews 12. We're going to go through a few verses here, so don't get stuck there for too long. Don't, don't get too comfortable there. But Hebrews 12, <laughs> verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? A loving father disciplines his children, doesn't he? Verse 8, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So, as a father, God disciplines his children, and that's okay. That's okay. He disciplines us because he loves us, because a loving father disciplines his children and that tells us that we belong to him and he's doing it for our holiness the scripture says it's it's part of the sanctification process to be disciplined and it's very painful to be disciplined by god but it's necessary and we all go through it and if we don't we must question whether we truly belong to him Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Sounds familiar, right? This was just quoted in Hebrews. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So as father, God disciplines his children. He also is a giver of good things. Turn to Matthew 7, ladies. Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, meaning you're fallen and sinful creatures, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Now, this isn't the uh, prosperity gospel where, hey, God, I want a car. But if we ask according to his will, and his will is revealed to us in scripture, so we know the things that God would desire that we pray about and ask for, he will give those things to us, and those are good things. Um, Lord, I would like wisdom in this specific circumstance and to grow in wisdom in in all areas. Well, that is a prayer he will answer. Wisdom comes from above. True wisdom comes from above. Jesus Christ himself is wisdom itself. And what a good thing to have, and the Lord will answer that prayer. So he disciplines us, and he is a giver of good things. Further, he always has a house for us. There is always room for us in the Father's house. There always will be. Once we have been saved, we've been claimed by God. We are marked by the blood of Jesus Christ. We cannot be unsaved. 
And we know that there is a room for us in our Father's house. John 14, verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus said to his disciples, Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And going right along with this, is the fact that God the Father keeps us. Turn back a page to John 10. John 10 verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. This is Jesus talking and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So not only does the Father choose us and then give us to the Son, to Jesus, but we are in the Father's hand, and we will not be snatched from it. He keeps us. He keeps us, and he loves us. Back to John 14, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, verse 21, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. John 16, 27, For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. And how many times did Jesus say, you know, that if we, if we know him, we know the Father. And if we love him, we love the Father. And that's part of why he rebuked the Pharisees, isn't it? He said, you don't know me, and you don't know my Father. And they said, well, yeah, we have one Father. It's God. And he said, no, 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 no. Your Father is the devil. He's a liar and the Father of lies. My Father, you don't know him. Because if you did, you wouldn't hate me. Father loves us because we are his, because he has chosen us and given us to Christ and we belong to Christ. And because he loves us, because we belong to him, we are children. We are heirs with Christ. We are children of God. And we can talk to him as father. Like I said just a few minutes ago, Romans 8 verse 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Abba, Father, we can call to him as Abba, Father. And Paul repeats this in Galatians 4, verse 6. Because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. And when you see son there, 
You can say daughter, it's okay, it's not adding to scripture. It doesn't make you a feminist. It does not make you an egalitarian. It means you're reading the scripture rightly. Son is just a representative term. Okay. And finally, 1 John 3, verse 1, ladies, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So God is a kind and loving father. By his very nature, he is a kind and loving father. He is the ultimate father. And so it doesn't matter what our experience is on earth with fathers or father figures. Our God is the perfect father. And in fact, if we've had a bad experience with fathers or father figures, from my perspective, that should make us all the more eager to run to him who disciplines out of love, not out of anger and hatred and spite, who disciplines for our good, but who gives us good things because he loves us, who keeps us, who promises a home for us, and who loves us because when he looks at us, he sees his son because we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's an amazing father. That's a father I pray you know and a father that I pray you would introduce to others as we seek to make the gospel known. And there's so much more in scripture about God as father and what that looks like and what that might mean for us and what it means in his relationship to Jesus Christ. And we don't have time for all that today, but wouldn't that be an amazing episode? It would go on for days. So I won't do that to you. I'm going to leave that as your homework to do a little more research on your own. I hope this has whet your appetite. And ladies, until next time, get in your Bibles, get on your knees, and get equipped. Thanks for listening. (music) 